No. Oh, there it is. Okay. Okay. Always when you get this, then this works. That's how that works. So first, before we start, um, welcome everyone to the well here at SCSA. Let's give a big hand to our AV team. All right. Let's just give them a big hand. Because honestly, I don't know what we would do without them. And if it was like, if I was like back there trying to do their job, we wouldn't even get to the blue screen. Like whatever that blue screen was, we wouldn't get there. So thank you guys. Um, all right, so we are in the middle of a series. For those of you just joining us, uh, we are actually in part four of a series called Blind Faith. Um, and what Father Anthony has been talking about is actually our faith is not blind at all, right? That's what we've been talking about in the series. And the theme of the series is that our faith isn't blind because it's based on eyewitness accounts. And there's multiple eyewitness accounts that we've seen um, from different disciples and different authors and things like that. And the one account that we're focused on currently is actually the account um, from the Gospel of St. John. So St. John in his epistle, he writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the word of life being Jesus. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So what St. John is saying here, especially in the first part, we heard him, we saw him, we held him, we had conversations with him. This isn't, you know, we're not just telling fairy tales. This is, these are real stories. And the reason that I'm writing my gospel, St. John tells us, that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, in his book. But these are written, those signs that he wrote, and he only wrote about seven, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So why did St. John write his gospel? Simple. Because I saw, I held, I had a conversation, I witnessed Jesus in real life, in reality, and so did we, the disciples, and people after us, and our life was forever changed. And I want you to have the same thing. I want you to believe in the presence of Christ truly, and to believe that he's the Son of God, so that you also may have life in his name. So, so far we've been going through different signs that Jesus did and what it told us about Jesus. And you guys remind me, what was the first sign that we talked about from John chapter 2? Don't make Father Anthony upset. Yeah, the water into wine, the wedding of Cana Galilee. What was the second one? Yeah, the nobleman's son, right? Okay. And the nobleman's son and Jesus heals him just by a word. What was the third one last week? The healing on the Sabbath. The guy was ill for how many years? 38 years. So it was a, like a hopeless case, right? Today, um, the sign that we're going to go through together is actually one of my personal favorite. Like if you told me like pick a chapter in all of the Gospels, it's one of my favorites. It's absolutely one of my favorites. And it comes to us from John chapter 6. So for those of us who are actually with us in the liturgy today, that was the same gospel we read. So what was that about? What was the gospel in the liturgy today? The five loaves and the two fish, right? John chapter 6. Okay? And John chapter 6 is very long, so we're not going to cover it in its entirety. We'll kind of skip around a little bit, but I'd encourage you all to uh, read it at home as well. All right, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Okay, just to give us some context, other gospel accounts tell us that Jesus and the disciples actually went to this remote area 
for one purpose, to rest. Okay, they went to rest. They had been working. The disciples had been working. Jesus had just sent them off. They came back, and they wanted to rest. They wanted to spend some time with Jesus. Obviously, when Jesus now is doing all these signs, there are great crowds following him. And a great crowd, like I would call this a great crowd. To me, this is a great crowd. The great crowd that was following him, the Bible says 5,000 men, which scholars estimate to be about 20,000 people. 20,000. Okay, so keep that in mind. So you're the disciples. You're with Jesus. You just want to rest. You just want to hang out with Jesus. And you see a great crowd coming towards you. St. John continues and he says, Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Talk about a verse that seems out of place. Okay? We're, we're getting ready. Okay, the story of the five loaves and the two fish. I'm ready. I know exactly what's going to happen. Like, I'm ready for the story. But the author interrupts the story by saying the Jewish Passover was near. Coincidence? How many people here think it's a coincidence? Anyone? Good job. Not a coincidence. So the Jewish Passover was near. This is mainly a foreshadowing because Christ was going to try to explain to the people later on how he was the bread of life, that he was going to die for them, and that he was the true Passover. So the Passover in the Old Testament was what? That God delivered his people, right? God rescued his people. And he rescued his people from slavery. And that's when they would celebrate the Passover, that that's, that's what they were celebrating. Well, Jesus now is going to show them how he's the real Passover and that he's trying to rescue them from something else. And we'll see whether or not they get it. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Let's say that the group that's in here right now, after church, this group, everyone, decides we're going to go to Father Timothy's house after church, okay? And I open my doors, just I'm going to get the mail or whatever, and I just see a great crowd coming towards my house, okay? I love all of you. You're all more than welcome to come to my house. You know what I'm not thinking about? Feeding you. <laughs> okay, I'm not thinking about feeding you. And it actually would be rude for you to expect that of me. Like, this is a great number of people. I, I can't just whip something up, okay? So this question, let's not overlook the question. This is a lot of people, right? 20,000 people. And Jesus looks at Philip and he says, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people? The question is absurd. And Jesus does that on purpose, okay, as we'll see later. The question is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And it said he only said this to test him. So we'll continue and see what Philip says. And I love Philip's answer here. Philip answered him. It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. What is Philip saying? Is he actually like doing accounting? Is he like doing math? Well, what's Philip saying? This is crazy. Of course not. Like we, if, even if we had like a ridiculous amount of money, which we don't because we're poor, let's say we had all this money, they would only get a bite. So what, like what food are you talking about, Jesus? Like you're telling us we need to feed them? We came here to rest. I see 20,000 people coming. I'm thinking of an exit strategy. I'm not thinking about feeding them. Then Andrew Simon's Peter's brother spoke up and he says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? 
I imagine that Andrew, like, if you think about it, the disciples saw all these signs, right? Like, the disciples knew that Jesus had performed really great signs. I imagine that Andrew heard Philip, and then he sees this boy with the five loaves and the two fish. And he's like, could he do it? Like, could he? I'm going to give Andrew the benefit of the doubt. And Andrew's like, all right, let's, let's just test the waters here. Hey, Jesus, there's this little boy here who has five loaves and two fish. And then I imagine the other disciples looking at him like, really? Five barley loaves and two fish? And by the way, these, the fish that they're talking about aren't like, they're like small pickled fish. This is a small lunch. This is the most ridiculous thing that anyone could ever offer to Jesus. And surprisingly, we'll see what Jesus does with this offering, like uh, Father Anthony talked to us today in the sermon. But just keep in mind this picture, okay? There's 20,000 people. No one knows what's going on. Jesus decides that he wants to feed them for whatever reason. And Andrew decides that, you know, it's a brilliant idea. I'm going to bring five small loaves and two fish. All of this, the author is setting the context to say, this is one of the most ridiculous situations I've ever seen. And St. John Chrysostom, who's a church father, an early church father, um, who's like known for his like great preaching, uh, gives us some commentary on this, okay? So he says he, he's talking about Jesus, Jesus first involved him, Philip, or really all of the disciples at this point, he first involved him in a confession of present circumstances, that when the astonishment should have come upon him, he might be unable afterwards to drive away the remembrance of what he had confessed, and thus might learn by comparison the greatness of the miracle. What's St. John Chrysostom saying here? Jesus knows this is crazy. He knows this is an insane request. And that's exactly what he wants them to remember. He wants them to remember, hey, remember Philip when I asked you how we're going to feed these people? And you said, what are you talking about, Jesus? It doesn't make any sense. Remember when Andrew brought the five loaves and the two fish and all of you looked at him like he was crazy? Do you remember? Okay, keep that memory. Keep that memory just there. Jesus then said, this is after Andrew brings the five loaves and the two fish. Have the people sit down, to which all our question is, for what? Are you going to teach them? Are you going to heal? Like, why are they sitting down? There's plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men or 20,000 people were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks. Let's just pause at the gave thanks part. Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. Let's go back to my house example. All of you come to my house, and I said, I'm not thinking about feeding you. But then I have like, I have some, a little bit of compassion in me. And I'm like, you know what? It's, by that, I mean like my wife told me we should probably feed them. But I have some compassion in me. And I'm like, no, no, we need to feed these people. Like, they might have not had a chance to get lunch, whatever. And my, Sherry's like, uh, how, how, we don't have any food. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, no, I have the perfect thing. I, I remember there's something in the fridge that we can all eat together. So I go to the fridge, and I grab a slice of pizza. I don't grab pizzas. I don't grab a pizza. I grab a slice of pizza. And I take that slice of pizza, and I put it on the dinner table. And I gather everybody around. We couldn't fit in our living room, but just for this analogy. I gather everybody around. I say, okay, guys, let's bow our heads and give thanks. We're about to eat together. How are you all looking at me? Like, I'm crazy. This doesn't make any sense. And that's exactly Jesus' point. And 
kind of similar to the story of Cana Galilee. There's no punchline, right? Jesus gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. We don't even hear that the miracle happened. Why? Because the author wants us to remember, this is Jesus. He did these signs. This was normal around him. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. This was just reality when Jesus was here. He did this stuff all the time. As much as they wanted, he did the same with the fish. And after all of that, not only was it enough for everyone to eat, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. You think it's a coincidence that there were 12 baskets? Anyone think that's a coincidence? 12 baskets are for who? The 12 disciples. With every sign that Jesus did, he was making sure that his disciples remembered exactly what happened. He didn't want them to forget about what happened. So he involves Philip. Whoa, I just got really loud. He involves Philip. And then he involves Andrew. And now all the disciples, he has all the disciples' attention. And then he gives thanks to this slice of pizza equivalent, probably less. And then after all of that, there's leftovers. And he says, okay, great. 20,000 people just finished eating. Now you disciples, you take, each one of you take a basket and go grab the leftovers. And as they're grabbing the leftovers, they're thinking, I can't believe this happened. This is crazy. How did Jesus do this? Why did he do this? And the point of all of this is to make them remember, no matter what happens, no matter what people say about me, no matter when your faith is shaken, remember this moment, okay? Remember this moment. So that when I say things that you might not understand, you still believe in me because you saw the sign. So the sign is a means to increase their faith. Said in another way, the sign is never the point. The sign is meant to point us to him. There's a difference. The sign is never the point. Like the point when we're reading the stories of Jesus and we read miracle upon miracle and story upon story. The sign in and of itself is never the point. That's not the objective. The objective isn't that we read and we get astonished by the miracles. The objective is we read it and then we say, oh, that points us to Christ. I look at the sign and I'm like, wow, how great is Christ? Not how great the miracle is. How great is Christ? That same can be said in our lives. The signs or, or the blessings that God provides. God can provide a lot of earthly blessings in our lives. He's very capable of doing that. But the earthly blessing is never the point. If God comes through and I get this job, that's fantastic. That's great. That's a blessing. God helps me with my finances. Great. Blessing. Children, whatever. Marriage. All blessing. But the point isn't to get so fixated on this that I forget about him. The point is that as I'm grabbing the 12 baskets, the remaining fragments, the abundance, all that blessing, I can't believe that Christ did this. That's what I should be remembering. Not, don't get fixated on the sign so much, but how the sign points to him. And we'll see why that's relevant later on with the response of the people. So now we go to the second part of the story. So we read some of the, uh, of the second part of the story today in, in today's gospel during the liturgy. But really, this is the part I want to focus on. The miracle we already know, Jesus took five loaves, two fish. He did the miracle, great. But what, what was the point? What was Jesus trying to tell them? 
After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the people are in utter, they they can't believe what just happened. Jesus fed 20,000 people. They had no food. They had no money. Essentially, there was no food, no money. There was just the five loaves and two fish. And their response isn't that strange. They are in, they can't believe that he did this, so they think he's something great. And because they think he's someone great, they want to make him king. But Jesus doesn't want it. He withdraws. Remember how we talked about, John set the, the, the passage with saying, the Passover feast was near. Well, the Passover feast was what? God's delivering the people, right? God delivered the people in the past. The people want a deliverance now. But they don't know, the deliverance that they want is not the same deliverance that Christ is trying to give them. And that's where the disconnect is. So they're trying to make him king. Why? This is great. Free lunch every day. Okay? We could take over the Romans. All earthly stuff. All earthly stuff. So Jesus, to kind of give us context for this next part, um, Jesus then goes, he sends the disciples away on the lake. Okay? And then he, uh, the fifth sign actually happens during this part, which we're not going to cover, um, where Jesus walks on water. He's with the disciples. And he gets to the other side of the lake. Okay? So Jesus withdraws. He sends the disciples away. So like he calms the 20,000 people, sends the disciples away because he doesn't want them to get any ideas either. Yeah, let's make him king. Yeah, we're his disciples. I'd love to have that guy king. So he sends them away. Jesus on the other side, when they found him, the people, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed and like want to believe in me, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. When Jesus doesn't answer a question, and it happens a lot in the Gospels, when Jesus doesn't answer a question, that means he's really trying to make a point. If you remember, like with the Samaritan woman, like, where should we worship, theology, whatever, go get your husband. He's trying to make a point. Rabbi, when did you get here? If you read a lot of commentary on um, this part of the Gospel, um, one of the, again, one another church father, St. Cyril of Alexandria, kind of makes fun of this language. He says, this is foolishness. They don't know what they're asking. Jesus knows their heart, their intent. They're just putting up words, just to kind of small talk. There's nothing direct. To give you an example, so before I was a priest, I worked in personal finance for two years, and then before that, I was in taxes for four, okay? Do you guys think people typically have questions about their personal finances and taxes? Yes, right? Like people always have questions, and especially taxes for whatever reason. So I would typically, during the periods of March and April, there would be an uptick in calls, an uptick in emails, an uptick in text messages, like an increase, okay? March and April. From May to February, radio silence. Not that much. And then when I would get a call, during that time period, what would typically happen is, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? How's the family? Family's great. How is your family? Awkward silence. Awkward silence. Awkward silence. I had a quick question for you. And in my mind, 
Of course you did. <laughs> Else we wouldn't be having this call. That's this. That's the small talk. That's, there's no point to this conversation. I would rather you just call and get to the point. Hey, Jesus, we had lunch. We want lunch again. Hey, I had a question about taxes. Great. What's your question? Let's, there's no, this isn't an authentic relationship. This is just a transaction. So there's clearly a difference, and Jesus knows that very, very well. And he's trying to teach them that the reason that you just want me is just because of lunch. Like, do you really think that's a good enough reason for us to have an actual relationship? You want it to make me king so you can have lunch? Jesus tells them, Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus' statement here, you've probably heard many times, it's actually very logical. Jesus is basically saying, don't get obsessed with, don't work for, don't be so overly concerned with things that are temporary. Okay? Don't get overly concerned with things that are temporary. For them, it was their lunch. Why did they go out to see Jesus again? Because they got hungry again. It was temporary. But he's telling them, seek the things that endure to eternal life. Jesus doesn't want them. We're not here to do a magic show. I'm not here to just feed you lunch. Like they wanted Jesus as their like personal food truck. Okay? But Jesus is telling them, no, you have to seek heavenly things. And later on, he'll, you will see that he's really talking about himself. Seek me. So they asked him, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Let's just pause here. For sure, the five loaves and the two fish is a great miracle, that, a great sign that Jesus did. The greatest miracle in this chapter is Jesus' patience with the people. That's the greatest miracle. That, like, truly, like, I can't think of anything. Like, when I'm reading this, I was getting angry. I know that's not how you're supposed to read the Bible, but I was getting angry when I was reading this. So they asked him, what sign will you give? Sometimes you read the story of the five loaves and the two fish, and we think people ate, everyone happy, happy ever after. That's it. That was the end of the story. That wasn't the end of the story. They went back, and they said, what sign will you give? I'm sorry. Was the five loaves and two fish not a great enough sign? That wasn't a great, like, did you need, like, Chick-fil-A sauce with your fish sandwich? Like, what, what could possibly be the sign? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they asking for? They're asking for bread. They were back at lunch again. We're back at lunch. So Jesus says, don't work for the things that are temporary. Jesus pours his heart out. I, like, he pours his heart out, and he directly tells them exactly why you were seeking me was because you wanted lunch. Don't seek things that are temporary. And their response is, what sign will you give us? You know, our ancestors had bread from heaven. I mean, if that's a sign you so wish to choose to give us, Jesus, we would certainly love that sign. Father Lawrence um, is an Orthodox priest who has a commentary on this gospel, and, uh, which I think Father Anthony used as well. Um, and he says, they have seen the sign of the bread, but they have no insight into its meaning. They literally think that Jesus just did that sign 
just so he could feed them and then do it again and then do it again. They had no insight into its real meaning. And to be honest, they didn't care about its real meaning. How does that relate to us? My agenda is the greatest barrier to developing an authentic relationship. My agenda is the greatest barrier to developing an authentic relationship. Why do I mean by my agenda? I feel like a lot of times, we were talking about this in membership group yesterday, a lot of times we treat God as if he was like a vending machine. Right? We're, our prayer life correlates exactly by what I need to happen in my life. God, I need A, B, and C. And that's when I go to God. And I go to God as if it's purely a transaction. And that's it. I don't really want a deeper relationship. I want lunch. That's, we're laughing at them. That's what we do all the time. God, give me whatever earthly thing, and that's my agenda. But as long as I keep my relationship with God as an agenda, on an agenda basis, okay, when things are well, am I going to go to God? And when things are bad and God doesn't respond right away, how do I respond? Back to that taxes example, right, when I would get those calls. You think someone who calls me from or texts me or whatever, March and April, just to answer their question, you think we have an authentic relationship? Would you call that like an authentic, like that's a friend? You know, I'm going to call that person and be like, hey, I just really need to talk to someone. Let's go grab coffee. Do we have that kind of relationship? Of course not. Of course not. Because our relationship is purely transactional. If my mentality is always, what can I get out of him or her, what are we really doing? We're not seeking an authentic relationship. If you've ever said the phrase, which I know probably we all have, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir here, so to speak, but you may have said the phrase of, you know, I, don't, I stopped going to church. I wasn't really getting anything out of it. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? I wasn't getting anything out of it. What did you think that it was? Like, why are you coming to church? Like, what's the it? What's the root of your desire to come to church? You don't come to church for an it. You come to church for him. You come to church for a personal relationship with God. That's the greatest gift. That's the greatest honor that we have. Let's keep going. Jesus continues, and he says to them, trying to help them. Patience. I'm telling you, the greatest miracle in this chapter. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sounds like a great offer, right? People are thinking, yes, it's exactly what we've been asking you for for 30 minutes now, Jesus. Give us this bread. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. How are the people uh, feeling about this 
this answer that Jesus gave them. Yes, sir, always give us this bread. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. I am the bread of life. You think they're like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I've been waiting for, that bread of life. Is that what they're asking for? No. Jesus is so desperate to trying to point them to himself through the sign, right? So he does the five loaves and the two fish. He feeds them, feeds their physical hunger. Okay, you're full now? Pay attention, right? Sometimes when we're hungry, we can't pay attention. You're full? Okay, now I want you to understand the deeper meaning of this sign. The sign isn't the point. The point, or the sign points you to me, to Jesus. Real faith isn't believing in the things that Christ gives us, like from an earthly standpoint. Real faith is believing in the person of Christ no matter the circumstance. And it's an honor to want to just be in his presence, to spend time with him, to have that authentic relationship with him. I remember when I was younger, uh, like really, really young, and anyone that knows me actually have a terrible memory. Like, so you can open invitation for confession, you could tell me anything and I'm going to forget it. So I mean, it's fine. Um, I was like, like, I remember I was like maybe, well, I don't really remember. I was like three or four years old. Okay. I was like three or four years old. And my dad used to travel a lot for business at the time. Okay. He would travel, like he would go um, Cairo or whatever um, for business. And I remember as a child, you would know like dad's going off to work, but he'll be back. He's great. And the first time, you're like, okay, great, dad's coming back, fantastic. But then dad has a gift. Dad brought a gift when he came back, and that was the best. Dad brings a gift. So then that was the rhythm, right? The rhythm was dad goes away, but he's going to come back, and he's going to bring a gift. That's the best. So first time, it's like, I don't know, like teddy bear or whatever. Next time, it's like a video game, and you're excited for the gift. You're excited for the gift. After a while, the gift could kind of old. You know, I'd rather have instead of my dad traveling and coming back with the gift. One of two options. Don't travel or take us with you. Why? Because he's the gift. I'd rather spend time with my dad than have a gift. I'd rather spend time with my dad than have a stupid gift. Like, I get the gift today, the teddy bear, great. Two days later, it's gone. Like, I don't know where the thing went. Especially as a kid, you know that, right? Like, you have short-term memory with that stuff. But the lasting thing is the relationship that you have with your father. And my father, actually, that's, that's what he ended up doing. He would take us on his trips with him. It's easy to get obsessed with what can God give me? What can I get out of him? And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying God can certainly provide for our earthly needs for sure. For sure he can. But that's not the point. That's never the goal. The goal isn't that he just provides earthly need, provides earthly need. It's almost as if, forgive me for saying this, it's almost as if he's the servant and he's serving us. It's like, I need car, go. Uh, I need spouse, go. Like, okay, all those things are great. And I'm not even saying, sometimes you ask for good things. Like a spouse, that's a good thing. But the goal isn't always the gift. The real, real, real pleasure, the real honor that we have 
is to have an authentic relationship with him. And that's what he's trying to teach them. I am the bread of life. You want to be full? Like on the inside, spiritually, you want to be full. You come to me. Don't worry about the lunch. Lunch is here today, gone tomorrow. If I give you lunch, you're going to get hungry again. You're always going to have a need. Your life is never going to be perfect. That's the reality. Your life, is anybody's life here perfect? Anyone? So we can all hate you? Anyone? Life is perfect? Yeah? After Jesus has this conversation with them, things go downhill pretty quick. Okay? So I won't read the rest of the chapter, but essentially, people leave. They want nothing to do with this. And, for, and Jesus talks to them about how he's the bread of life and that he's ready to give his life up for them. That's going to be his flesh, talking about the cross. And more than that, he talks about the mystery of the Eucharist, which we, you know, we're not going to get into today, but he talks about that in the same chapter, how they would participate in that salvation. And for sure, the words are hard to understand for the people. Like, and sometimes we read John 6, and I used to think this, like, John 6, the words are hard to understand for the people, and that's why they walk away. Like, even those who were, like, disciples of his walked away. St. John Chrysostom tells us a different story. Yes, maybe the questions were hard, but in truth, it was not this, the words, that caused their indignation, but the thought that they should not enjoy a material table. Had they been really indignant, they ought to have asked and inquired how he was the bread of life, how he had come down from heaven. But now they do not do this, but murmur. What's St. John Chrysostom saying here? If you read the rest of that chapter, things get a little dicey. Jesus explains that he's the bread of life. He's going to give up his flesh. He's going to die. They have to eat his flesh and drink it. And they're like, whoa, like, what is this guy talking about? Because they, have, they couldn't understand. They thought like literally like as cannibals or whatever they thought. But that wasn't the real issue. The real, real issue, as St. John is saying, is not that the words were too difficult to understand. Because if the words are too difficult to understand, well, I just saw this guy do a great sign. You know what's the logical next step? Like, there's, this person is clearly sent from God. I've seen him do amazing signs, like things that aren't normal for a human to do. You know what's the logical next step? When I don't understand the things he's doing or the things he's saying, I ask I go ask a question. I inquire with him. I'm like, I know you're a person from God, but how could you possibly say this? How could you say that you're the bread of life that comes down from heaven? I don't understand. But that wasn't the response. They just left. Is Jesus enough even when I don't get what I want? Is Jesus enough even when I don't get what I want? Another way to think about it is like, do I want Jesus for Jesus? Or do I want him for the things I can get out of him? <clears throat> These people thought they had won the lottery. They thought forever we were going to have no more physical needs. Our physical needs would be met. Finally, someone like Moses, someone like Joshua was here to deliver us from those crooked Romans. That's what they thought. They wanted their physical salvation. And he said, no, no, but I have something so much better. I have something, something so much greater. 
I'm the bread of life. Me. And the result was, no thank you. I don't want anything to do with that. I'd rather have lunch. Add the Chick-fil-A sauce next time. Look. This isn't the, like, sometimes we read this gospel, and it's like the most, like, uplifting, and, and I feel like I wouldn't did his job today. I'm here to bring us back to home, <laughs> bring us back down. The truth of the matter is, it's so easy to say that we honor God and we love God for him when things are going well. But when I don't get what I want, how do I react? Because if the answer is, when I don't get what I want, I avoid that relationship, I no longer want to deal with that person, then for being honest with ourselves, the relationship wasn't authentic to begin with. It was a transaction. It wasn't based on a real relationship. And I'm saying all of this as if God didn't already provide us everything we need. I'm just saying from a physical standpoint. If you think about what the story of salvation, Christ, who didn't need to, but wanted to, came down as a human, took flesh, and was among us. That alone shows us how much he loves us. That alone shows us how much he loves us. If he did nothing else, to be king of kings, everything, at his footstool, and to come down, That alone is enough. But then he healed. Then he taught. Then he was crucified. And not just crucified. He was shamed. And he took it. He said, I'll do that too. Not just crucified, but then resurrected to show us that he could defeat death. And then rose up, ascended to heaven, sent us the Holy Spirit to live inside us. He said, great, and I'm establishing the church. Is there anything else I need to prove to you to show you that I love you? That's the question. Is there anything else I can do? Yes, lunch. Really? Lunch? So sometimes we may not get everything exactly the way we want it. Sometimes our circumstances aren't the greatest. Let's just be honest. Sometimes you go through hard times. That's the reality of life. Not everything is always easy. But what Jesus is telling us and what he's teaching us is you can get obsessed over this stuff and sometimes I'll give you this stuff as a blessing but honestly, sometimes those very same blessings become a curse to us because we become so obsessed with them. But the greatest blessing I've already given. I did it. I did all of it. I didn't for a second leave you. I was always following after you. Jesus, after the disciples, the other disciples leave, he asks the 12 a question that's a little hard to bear. One of them had a smart answer. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know what I love about this response that Peter had? He didn't really understand. 
what was going on. He might not even have understood Jesus' words perfectly. Like Jesus talking about how he's the bread of life. He might not have even really understood that. But he remembered the signs. He remembered having one of those baskets, filling up the abundance, the leftovers. And the sign told him everything he needed to know. I believe in him. And no matter if I don't understand what's going on in my life, no matter if I don't understand that this, this one prayer that's just not answered just seems to be no way this prayer is going to get answered. To be honest, Lord, I have such an authentic relationship with you. This is St. Peter. I don't know where else to go. I don't know what my life would look like if I didn't have you. To whom shall I go? You have the words to eternal life. You fill my spiritual need. And that's greater than anything I could ask for. John 6 is a chapter about one of the greatest signs that Jesus ever performed. He ever performed. And then it's followed by a sad response. I'm afraid sometimes, I'm just confessing here, that I may fall into that category with, that, with those crowds. That I get so focused on earthly circumstance. I get so focused on things that are happening around me. That instead of just looking to him and, say, and, and just saying, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words to eternal life. I'm like, can I get a sign, please? Can I get a sign that you still love me? Can I get a sign that you care about me? And certainly Jesus can do that. And actually early on, I believe, early on in our spiritual journey, he does all of that because he's helping us. But real spiritual maturity is going to God and saying, Lord, no matter what's happening around me, no matter my earthly circumstance, no matter the gift I have, the gift I don't have, the blessing the other person has that I don't have, I have nowhere to go but to you. And you're the only thing I need. And you've already given me everything I need. Let's stand up and pray. <clears throat> name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for being such a gracious God, such a good God, such a loving God, for loving us so much that you gave your only begotten Son for us, Lord, that he dwelt among us, that he died for us, that he rose from the dead for us. Thank you, Lord, for sending us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for sending us your church. And thank you, Lord, for being a personal God who's always alive and active in our lives. Lord, we may not always understand what's going on in our circumstances. We may not always understand the answered prayers versus the unanswered prayers. But we know one thing. We have nowhere to go but to you, Lord. That's where we're really full. We need nothing else. Lord, we ask that you hear our prayers today. Everyone here, Lord, continue to guide us, continue to help us mature in our spiritual journey. And hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.